once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We know that history in the small and the large unfolds on God's terms. While we only see the small in our limited existence, we know we will one day see the large and rejoice. Lead teacher Randy Pope starts the new series, Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty, with the first part of this message entitled, All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Father, we pray about this series and uh, believing that it is... uh, Father, uh, a very important text for us to be teaching your people. Would you bless it? Would you enable it to be clear, uh, not confusing, uh, helpful, that we might fall more in love with you is our request. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am uh, beginning a, uh, a summer-long series. It's going to take us to the end of, of, uh, of August. Uh, this will be my last series that I'll be teaching as the uh, lead teacher here. Still be a, a part of the teaching team, but this will be my last series in, uh, in this role. And so I get to choose, uh, you know, what do I want to do my last series? If I can do one series, what would it be? Well, anybody that would know me well would say, I bet it'll be out of Romans. Now, it's not because they're genius. It's because they know the story here for 42 years the decision was made that we would go through Romans 1 through 8 sequentially, verse by verse, we'd finish, and then we'd pick up where we left off that year and so forth. And now, I think this is going to end the, uh, getting close to the end of four decades of doing so, about, it's averaged about 10 years per to be able to to get through Romans 1 through 8, and we're nearing the end in this series. Now, here's the question. Why is this so important to me? And, uh, you know, why, why would I say this is the series that I want to do? And uh, one commentator perhaps asks, uh, answers that question best. I would agree with him. This is what he says. From it, we can learn the content of the Christian faith like nowhere else in all of the Bible. I know when I was a young Christian, I went to a, a Christian leader. I had the opportunity to be around, and I, and I said, look, I, I really want to grow strong. I want to I I take the faith seriously. Uh, it's brand new to me and all. I said, I didn't know kind of where do I go and how do I get there and this, that, and the other. And I said, give me some advice. What would you say? And this person told me this, said, master the book of Romans. Master the book of Romans. And I took him at heart. And personally, I found out I know of no scriptures that have been used more importantly in my life. Uh, I'll tell more of that story in a few minutes. But uh, it certainly has benefited me. I think it's benefited this church to keep going through this over and over, over and over. I'm going to format it all differently this time than I've done in the past. I want to make it as simple and as easy as possible. But I do believe... This, uh, this particular chapter is absolutely important. You know, uh, great church fathers such as uh, Augustine, um, uh, Luther, uh, they, well, they embedded deeply in these books and known for their teaching of them and so forth, but they actually came to faith while they were reading, certainly separate from each other at different times, but, but they came to faith through the reading of the book of Romans. John Piper, uh, one of the... A great uh, former pastor and still a great commentator and, and uh, teacher. 
Now, he said, I believe it is the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. I would agree, and I would say, I think it's the greatest chapter in the greatest book. And I say that based on experience personally and the story of many others that would agree. Now, having said that, we're going to pick up where I left off. The last series, a year ago, I ended in Romans 8 at verse uh, 27. We're going to pick up now at verse 28. If you were here last week, I know I was sitting back in the nine o'clock service uh, toward the, the middle back and, uh, and Jeff announced this series. Maybe you were here to hear that and he made the comment. He said, and then, well, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be about nine weeks that Randy will teach. And, and uh, think about this, all of that covering only two verses. And there was kind of a little bit of a, uh, and a few people laughed and a few, you know, different responses. And I have to be honest, I sat back there and I did kind of the same thing because that is not true. There's, there's no way I'm going to spend nine weeks on just two verses. It's actually three verses. So uh, it's much different than what he said. Now, let me, let me introduce uh, one little thing that I said last series that I did. I, I want to repeat just to kind of put it in this framework to understand that today we have a people in church in many, many, many places that are in love with what we would call pop theology. It is the popular theology. It's a feel-good theology. Don't say things that could hurt and make you feel badly. And therefore, tell us what we want to hear. Uh, tell us uh, what will make us feel good about our faith. And in the use of Scripture, a lot of places are doing just that. Let me suggest to you that your and my need is for a very rich, biblical, which will mean depth in theology. That's what we really need. What we're needing is to be mature in our faith, not just to feel good about our faith. Let me suggest to you that the reality is that maturity in our faith is the ultimate and only way to find truly feeling good long-term about our faith. It really is. And we're never going to get to maturity without the truths of Romans chapter eight. You just can't avoid it. I'd suggest to you that it takes more than just the truth of Romans eight, not by sitting here and listening to this teaching and even embracing it. That's not gonna change your life. It's a heart issue. But I'll say this, given the heart that says, I want that, you're not gonna get there without the truths of Romans eight. Now, the whole chapter, I'm going to subtitle Four Secrets to a Satisfying Life. Everybody should have, if you have a bulletin, a yellow insert. Would you pull it out just for a moment? And uh, this will be your guide. Uh, you'll get a new one every week. It'll be the same outline for the entire nine weeks of the series. So, but what I'm going to do is I will stop at a particular point. It won't be at a major break necessarily. I'll come to the point that I need to stop and we'll stop. It'll be predetermined before you know, I get there, but we'll stop. And then the next week when you come back, there should be a check on what we've already covered. I would encourage you to do this. If you have to miss, then live stream if you can as that day is here and you can't be here. Uh, if not, wait till Tuesday 
And uh, about noonish, we'll put it up and you can podcast and, and be able to, to get the series. But continue on with the series. I think you'll be glad that you did that. But notice at the top of the outline, the four secrets. This is not popular theology, but this is rich theology. One, experience acceptance. Number two, rejoice in suffering. You know, a lot of people would be saying, though, no, 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 the way we have a satisfying life is to avoid suffering, for God to take us out of suffering now as we live on this earth. Now, we covered that in 2018, last year. Now, this year, we're picking up with number three, trust in God's sovereignty. I'm going to show you in a quick minute a great connection between rejoicing and suffering and trusting in God's sovereignty. And then maybe future sometime, rest in God's security, which will end the teaching of Romans 8. That'll be verses 31 through 39. Now, the text that precedes what we're getting into now, the text that we have is about suffering, or the text that we, we had last time was in suffering. Now we talk about God's sovereignty. And so we have a little treat to be able to help bridge the two. It was uh, maybe a few months ago Chuck McDowell, who has sung here before, he's been a part of this church for many, many years, dear, dear friend, and uh, every one of us have a pastor, elder, that if we choose to have that, and he's been my pastor, elder, for, for years and could not be a better, a better pastor uh, to me and to Carol. And uh, he's a, a songwriter and performs quite often, and uh, God has blessed him and gifted him in an amazing way. And so some of you might remember, it's been a while back, but he'd asked me to write a song with him. We did, and he performed that at that time. Well, uh, he said, let's do that one more time. And, and I said, I would be happy to do that. And, and kind of in, in preparation for that, I didn't want to go in totally raw like I did the first time to meet with him for the, that day we spent. And I said, I'm just going to pick a subject matter that I'm very intent upon, and I'm going to write a poem, and I'll just put the poem to the music Amazing Grace, because I don't, I don't know anything about music composition. And by the way, God has really used the, uh, the stories of this church in a big way in, in songs. You know the song that we just sang uh, to the only God uh, earlier today? Uh, that was Aaron Schuess. You may know his name. He was our worship director for many years, uh, worship pastor here, leader. And uh, it was after week after week here in the, uh, the uh, benediction out of Jude that I used that uh, he was prompted and he wrote that. And now we benefit and churches all over the, the globe are using that song as a wonderful story of uh, the only God, and he truly is. And so Chuck had done that uh, previously in one of the messages that we were, uh, we were doing in Peter and uh, Cornerstone, and, uh, and now, uh, and we did another one, I think, uh, since then, but it doesn't matter. But he called me and he said, let's do another one. And so I'm preparing for it, and I write this little poem, and I said, that's the only way I know to do it is a poem, and I gave it to him, and we meet together, and he does his magic on it. I mean, it just uh, transformed it in a thousand ways, and, uh, and came out with a song that I want you to hear. Uh, it, it's called Why. And the reason I wrote a poem on why is because I'd just come out of investigative form and a week where I heard over and over, why God, why does God, why would God, how come God? And I thought, let's just address that question. And so he has done his magic and I'm gonna invite him to come out and then I want you to listen to the song that he has so made beautiful. So Chuck, come on out and let us hear from you. Let's welcome him. 
prison when I cannot flee. The tree of desertion won't let me be. Been weakened and broke, filled with disease. Anxiety crushes me down to my knees. Failure, rejection surrounding me. Why does this happen while God's loving me? Why do I suffer, feel so unsure? Why has God given these trials to endure? A child of God, so I've been told. Darkness is lonely and I cannot see waves drag me down as I swim in the sea how does this happen while God's loving me why oh God I don't understand someday maybe I'll see with faith and trust in your perfect plan then grateful I will be Yes, grateful I will be Been read to, been told The pain is my friend How God has planned We'll all comprehend Scales that are falling help me understand. Longing for God helps me see my sin. Jesus' blood cleanses again and again. This is what happens while God's loving me. Why, oh God, I don't understand. Someday, Maybe I'll see with faith and trust in your perfect plan. Then grateful I will be. Yes, grateful I will be. For joys of this world, I'm no longer bound. Idols I kept now rust in the ground. Good which is coming starts with today. Eternal rewards keep showing the way. My gifts to the King for Him to display. This is what happens when God leads the way. Why, oh God, I don't understand Someday, maybe I'll see With faith and trust in your perfect plan Then grateful I will be Yes, grateful I will be Why, oh God I don't understand Someday Maybe I'll see With faith And trust in 
Your perfect plan is grateful I will be. Grateful I will be. Yes, grateful I will be. pray for Chuck. Uh, many of you uh, are aware, and I shared this last time, uh, Chuck is in a battle with, has been for four years now, with uh, colon cancer and now spread to the brain. He's had surgery on the brain once, and now tomorrow he starts um, radiation, full brain radiation, which is not to be a pretty thing at all. And uh, I want us to pray for him. But I want to say this, and I try not to get emotional. I did the first, but uh, um, let me tell you, what I'm teaching in this series this man has lived in a way like few people I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of people who walked through a lot of hard times. I've seen no one, medically speaking, walk through a harder time. And I've watched nothing but, yea, God, you're good. And I've told many a person, and I say it because of him, a few others in our church, the same story can be said. But I say, let me tell you, you may say this is all, nah, this is not real. Let me tell you. This faith is real. You don't live and respond to the things that Chuck has walked through and be able to respond the way he has if it's not true. God's grace is real. And I want us to be praying for him even now. So let's pray together, all right? Father in heaven, for my dear friend, I pray. Thank you for gifting him. Thank you for allowing him to be so used among us. Thank you for his great talent in songwriting and singing. And I pray, Father, that you would walk with him through these deep and dark hours, still so hard, even though you're so good. And I pray, Father, that you would be with Kari and the kids and the grandkids and everyone who walks with him uh, this uh, difficult time. I pray for these next weeks. God, we pray, would you still heal? We ask you to do that. We ask you that you would grant that he might be used as a, a pastor to many, even in the medical process, as he goes through this treatment of brain cancer. So we pray, God, take care of him, love him, support him, heal him, we ask, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's thank Chuck again for all he's done. All right, let's read Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also, uh-oh. And we gotta talk about that during this series? Yes, we will to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. For though these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, 
I want you to bring to mind the worst problem that you can think of, that anyone has had. You, somebody else, you've read about it, you've heard about it, you've experienced, doesn't matter. And if something's already come to your mind, it means it has been horrific, it is terrible, it's the worst imaginable, lock it in and hold that. I'll tell you one story that I've heard that's got to be about as bad as any. It's the story of a, of a young boy uh, who was kidnapped and taken to a foreign country. This is a, a family of believers, was taken to a foreign country and was made a slave in that country as a child. And only until many years later was he, in essence, rescued from that problem. Now, the question we would have to ask to that is, now, does all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? What about his story? If you talk to his family and said, hey, all things work together for good, what's the right answer? For him who's walked through, you know what's been a hell for years and years of his life, lost his childhood basically through this process. Are we going to say that was a, a plan of God? Are we going to say that, oh, and not only is it a plan of God, it's a good plan. God has a perfect plan. Well, what about in your and my life? What about the children problems that we have? What about issues that are economic woes that put us to a place that we, we feel like we can't survive? What about the Dating or marital problems, terminal illnesses, political upheaval, whatever it is that we walk through, are we as Christians able to say with confidence, yeah, this is a plan of God and this is a good plan? The Christian community would have all kinds of different responses to that. Where in reality, according to God's word, there's really one response. It's not the response that is so familiar to so many of us, which is basically this. Uh, yeah, bad things have happened to me. And so bad news, period. It's bad news. Don't go any further. It's just bad news. And that's the way we live life. God, why? Why would this happen? This is the worst thing. This shouldn't have happened. How could it happen? Why would a God? And it goes on and on. But of Christians, no, this is not good. At least, maybe not even in what they say they believe, but in the way they or we react, it would be as if we believe this is just a period put behind. These are bad, bad circumstances, bad news. Whereas there's another approach, and it's the one that you're going to be hearing here. It's going to be admitting, yes, bad news, bad news, but there's going to be a comma. However, ultimately good news. Somebody that lives with a period, they're going to live one way. Those who truly embrace the comma could be totally different, a totally different response. It's going to be the response of Chuck. So he has a comma after his bad news. I've heard him talk about how bad the news is. He'll say, you know, I, I can't, I have to admit this is as bad as anything I've ever thought about going through. There's always though the comma but, and he tells the glory, and I've heard him use the very words, I would keep the cancer to get what I've gained as a result already. That's the difference, the period and the comma. Christian, if you're putting a period 
after bad news, you need this series. Seeker, you're there trying to figure out the Christian faith. I'm gonna suggest this is gonna be a good time for you. Maybe to try to discern, is this something that we Christians are kind of have a self-deception going on, uh, uh, maybe something that's uh, an escapism? Or will the conclusion be, no, I think these people, they've got something that is an incredible advantage over what I'm experiencing in my life right now. So if it is true, the question is, how can it be true? If all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, how can that be? Well, that's why verses 29 and 30 are put here. 29 and 30 is going to give the answer that has to be understood in order to have a comma be embraced. So five words are going to give explanation to what I'm going to be calling the process by which we're going to get this outcome of all things working together for good. These five words have been called in theology, the golden chain of salvation. So if you take your your outline in hand with me just for a moment, just so you're kind of getting the bigger picture of where we're going. We're going to start with three presuppositions, which says fully embracing the belief that all things work together for good presupposes, and you're going to see three things there. If you look on the backside of that, it follows with three foundations. And the foundations say the golden chain can be understood only in light of the Bible's teaching regarding three things. You can see what they are. We're going to walk through them. Then we come to five chain links. This is when it gets very interesting. It says salvation is only to be understood in light of the five links of the golden chain. And there they are. And then four common or number four is common questions and an important postscript. Let me tell you just briefly my story. See, not in this outline, not in this way, but I was a, I was a young new believer and it happened to be in God's providence that I was put in the pathway of some that had been introduced to the golden chain of salvation, not under that name, but the same teaching, the same depth of theology. And I encountered it coming with many, many different beliefs, totally different beliefs. And I just thought, it can't be. In fact, I can remember raising my back in such a way to actually with emotion say, no, this is not true. These things such as predestination, I say, but what about man's will? Oh yeah, they're both there. And I'd say, baloney, they can't both be there. You either got one or you got the other. Let's figure that out. But it's not both. It can't be. And I was so pushing back. And I, I remember getting so frustrated, literally coming to tears at one point and saying, that's not the God I want. It's not the God I will love. No, I cannot believe that. I'm thankful for what a man shared with me during that time. A man way down the line in faith, well beyond what I would ever consider. And he said, Randy, I want to tell you something. You will never learn a good theology. It'll never happen. He said, your only hope, you have to earn a good theology. 
The good theology doesn't come by, oh, I heard it, I got it, I accept it, I'm good. No, when you get into the deep truths of the scripture, you gotta wrestle. You have to struggle. Might be some hurt. But you earn a good theology. And I'm asking and praying that what's gonna happen is in the process of these many weeks that you're gonna start earning a good theology. And it's going to, it's going to mean some challenge. I'll say all that. Don't run from this. No, that's ah, too deep. That's too, that's above me. Oh, don't do that. That's not the answer. You run to it. And it's through what we don't understand that we might begin to see the beauty of our God. I will say this. It was when that happened that I began to walk through these things that I had a, a love for my Jesus that I'd never known before. Oh, I, I really, I love Jesus. But after this stuff, I said, I really love Jesus because I got a much bigger picture of what Jesus has done for me. That's where we're going. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm not trying, no. We just want to get to the place where we can say, I'm falling deeper in love with Jesus because of a deep, rich theology. So let's start with our three presuppositions. We'll just hit two today, and they're very brief. Uh, by the way, the definition of a presupposition. Pre, we know what that means, before. Uh, supposition, something we suppose, something that we believe to be true, we might take it as correct. Now, by the way, do you know what happens with, when you get a wrong presupposition? If you have a wrong presupposition, and I don't care if it's truth that follows it, and you've got this wrong pre-belief about something, and then something comes on it that's truthful, what happens? Oh, it becomes distorted. It's wrong. And the more you build on it, the worse it gets. It just takes you down. It's a terrible place because the problem is in the presuppositions. That's why I have us beginning at that place. Let's figure out what are the presuppositions. And so the first of those presuppositions is going to be God is sovereign. He is sovereign. Now it's defined, sovereignty is defined as possessing supreme power. When we're talking about God, it would be basically what we read in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. There we read these words referring to him, God, who works all things. This is again, our words, all things after the counsel of his will. Wow, all things. It's kind of what I would call a domino doctrine. We've all played the game as kids and we've done it with our children or grandchildren where you take the dominoes and you stack them up on end and you make this snake-like, you know, long curving domino game. And then all you do is you just hit that first domino and they all go down. It's fun to watch. It's easy. If you take that first domino and you push it the wrong way, you're not going to see that take place. It's supposed to take place. And that's basically what we're talking about here. This is one we have to understand, the sovereignty of God. It is the domino that touches all others. We get a wrong presupposition about this idea of God's sovereignty and nothing seems to make sense to us. That's when we'll say, why God, why God, why God? Now, the next two weeks, we've got to answer some questions. Two next week and two the following week. 
Here's what we're going to be addressing. Did God foreordain sin? How about the second question? If so, is he not responsible for sin? Next week, we'll go a little further. Okay, if God is sovereign, isn't it unfair that he didn't assure the salvation of all people? Or maybe a way to do number four question, well, why didn't God choose to save all people? If he didn't, why not? That makes no sense to me. So more next week on that, because when we get to the foundations, one of the foundations is the sovereignty of God. So presupposition and foundation, I'm going to hold that till the next. Now, the second presupposition is that God has a perfect plan. Our text reads, he causes all things. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him called according to his purpose. That includes the pain and the suffering that is talked about coming now into these verses. The previous verses talks about the moaning and the groaning of creation and the pain and the heartache and the struggle and so forth. But I want us to all notice that the text does not say all things are good. If Christians say that, they are wrong. Chuck's cancer, good? No, it's not good. It is wicked. I would wish for cancer that it would get cancer. I mean, the truth of it is, it's a horrid thing. And we shouldn't make any difference about that as anybody else would. But it doesn't say all things are good. Neither does the text say that we can understand how all things work together for good. Not at all. We don't necessarily understand it. The third, it does not say that all things work together for good for all people. It doesn't say that. It's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So before I come to the conclusion, now in just a minute, two little sub points that are very important if we're going to understand this idea of God having a good plan. The first is this. Our knowledge is limited. And this is something that many Christians don't embrace well. They wouldn't deny it, but they won't embrace it. That our knowledge is limited while God's knowledge is unlimited. Now, no one that I meet who's a theist, believes in God, is going to say, God, I know as much as you do. Certainly not going to say, God, I know more than you do. We say, I realize I don't, I don't know as much as you do, God. Do we really believe it when it comes to the bad things and put a period? You know, what we're often saying is this shouldn't happen. God, what he says isn't true about all things working out of good, even though I'm a Christian. The, the reality is that our focus has to be on the reality that we don't know all things. Isaiah Chapter 55, verses eight and nine reads like this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that he's hidden from us so many of the things that we will never fully comprehend. Well, go back to my story. Here I was, a young student, and I'm saying, I don't buy this. I don't agree. I can't be. How could it be? And I happen to be at a conference, and I'm at a conference where they have a tremendous, a tremendous Christian leader, PhD, brilliant, 30 probably years, 25, 30 years older than me, an incredible Christian leader. And I had the opportunity afterwards 
after hearing him say some of these things that I'm talking about now. And, and I came up to him and I said, hey, I thank you for the opportunity to, to respond to you, but I don't think that can be. I just, I, I can't agree with you. And he said, and why not? And I said, well, because it doesn't make sense to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. He took me to a chalkboard. Some of you have seen me do this, but he takes me to a chalkboard and we're obviously well beyond chalkboard now. <laughs> but you get the same picture. He said, so Randy, let me ask you, this chalkboard, is it finite or is it infinite? And I said, well, it's finite. He said, how about the knowledge of God? And I said, well, that's, that's infinite. He said, so if this board were to represent the knowledge of God, then this board would go forever and ever and ever in all four directions. It would never end. Are you, would you agree with that? I said, yeah, if it's infinite, yes. He said, so let me do this. And he draws a circle in the middle of that board. And he said, let's let this circle represent the accumulated knowledge of all people throughout all history. And he said, so let me ask you this. Is that knowledge finite or infinite? And I said, well, it would be finite. So he said, so this is maybe what, a 50th of this board or 175th or whatever. He said, so would you agree with me that if this board would go forever and ever and ever and ever, that I have way understated my case here? And I said, yes, sir. Then he took a little circle inside of it and he said, let's make that circle represent the most brilliant, knowledgeable human in the history of mankind. Presumably alive today with all the massive knowledge explosion. And, and let's say that's the most brilliant, knowledgeable person of all. What is that? A fifth of the entire circle? And he says, so do you think anybody has a fifth of all knowledge? I said, no. He says, so have I understated that case? I said, yes, sir. Then he took his chalk and he made a dot in the middle of it. He said, that dot represents your knowledge. <laughs> he assured me this was his biggest understatement. But anyway... <laughs> He did that dot and he says, now let me ask you this. Do you think there is a possibility that if I were to take that dot and so he erases everything around the dot, okay? He just leaves that dot that just disappeared. <laughs> he said, we leave that dot. Would you agree that that dot is way, 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 way too small and this board way too, uh, uh, too uh, small? Uh, this is way too large and the board way too. I said, yeah, I agree with that. He says, do you think that possibly there could be something here or here or here that God says is true that won't land on that little dot? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I want to give you some advice, young man. He said, when you go to the word of God, you believe it's God's word? Yeah. When you see it, and it's something you don't understand and you don't like or you don't get, don't throw it away. Embrace it. Do you know my experience? This is my experience. I have never seen anything in God's word that where I have embraced it that I have ever said I wish I hadn't. I've never seen something when I've said, oh, I can't, I don't, that I'm glad I didn't accept it. That's why we trust God. We have experience. We have the truth. We have a lot of reasons. And so in this whole endeavor, let's keep this in mind. Always keep it back there. 
dot, 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 dot. Instead of it can't be because it doesn't fit on my little dot. The second and final truth that's unknown, overlooked, or whatever is that we tend to focus on the immediate while God focuses on the ultimate. Our focus tends to be on immediate happiness. God's priority is our character. It is, it is, a, it is his glory, obviously, but our character and our eternal well-being. See, God's promise in verse 29 of our text simply says, he does all this, why? To conform us to the image of his son. He doesn't say just to make your life on earth pleasurable. He says, this is to conform you. This is so much richer. It's so much bigger. It's so much better. So it means this, folks. He is not going to waste physical and emotional affliction, whether it be cancer or depression. He's not going to waste life partners or rebellious kids or financial trials. He's not going to do that. And so when we come to it, for us to grumble, it's saying, you know, I, I, just, I just don't like the process that you're using to bring me to a place of something good. But to recognize and say, okay, God, I'm going to go back to Romans chapter eight. And that's why I entitled this sub, sub series, all things. I want when and now it hits and we want to place that period, go no comma, all things. No, 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 not period, comma, all things. It's going to be a struggle, but that's where we need to get. Maybe better to remember it in the words of Johnny Erickson Tata. You've heard me say it probably many times if you've been around here long. God ordains what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now here's a woman who's a quadriplegian, has been most her entire life. And she says, here's the truth. And I think she is right on. Next week, we'll look at the third presupposition God engineers an infallible process to assure his perfect plan. We'll get started on that. Let me conclude by just reminding you that there are two conditions to this promise that all things work together for good. The one is this. We have to come to a place that we love God. Number two, that we are assured we're called according to his purpose. Now, my job number one over these nine weeks is to make sure nobody leaves this place without a full understanding of what it means to love God and how to do that and how to know you're called according to his purpose. And I'm going to start by putting the first little piece out. And that's this, that it's beginning with God. Always. It never begins with us. Even our love for him does not begin with us. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And so take everything you want to know about life and know that it begins with God, not us. And once we start pointing Godward, then our theology can come deep and rich and we can find the type of satisfaction we want where we can actually trust in God, even as we experience suffering. And if you think it can't be done, spend just a little time with Chuck and a number of others in this church that I could say the same thing about. It is real. So what about, that, uh, what about that kid that I told you about? He ended up being taken into child slavery for most of his life, for his young life for sure. You think it's God's plan? Do you think it was a good plan? Well, in case there's any doubt, 
we know who that person is. And we know what he says about it. His name is Joseph. And his story is told in Genesis. It ends in chapter 50. After all of this ordeal he's gone through, and his brothers he's in conversation with. And they're so, oh, we shouldn't have. We're sorry. This is what we did. And he says, no, no, no. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That tells us the story right there. You hang into this series. Yes, let's walk through it. And let's see if we don't fall a little bit more in love with Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we grant, ask you that you would grant that petition. May we see you and see what you've done for us. May we see the cross to begin with. And know that that's where your love has been demonstrated in such a grand way. And may we fall in love with you and believe you that all things do work together for those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose. Let us live with that truth we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.